Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, July 4th. Happy Independence Day. But it's still Media Monday here at the Powers That Be. Today, John Kelly and I talk about CNN Digital. It's a web traffic powerhouse, but it's also the redheaded stepchild of CNN. And it might be the next place at the network to face some difficult cuts. And we discuss a new study ranking the most trusted brands in news. You'll be surprised what's at the top of the list. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers the Beat. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th, as they say on Martha's Vineyard, where I am for the 4th. we are, not surprisingly, pre-taping this. It is not actually the 4th of July, John Kelly, uh, but uh, it is right before, and we want to give people the content they want on Mondays. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. You know, the powers that be never takes a break. This is <laughs> the, the definition of daily, and I think the, the great question that we're going to have to return to is whether Peter Hamby's private Learjet actually makes it from Southern California out to Martha's Vineyard <laughs> in time with with the impending rainstorms that are due here in the in the northeast. So we'll we'll see traffic and weather on the eights. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, John, I want to talk to you about a story Dylan Byers just posted over the weekend. Dylan obviously has been honestly driving the coverage of CNN since Jeff Zucker departed, and also Warner Brothers Discovery merger, the death of CNN uh, Plus. And then Chris Lick's emergence as the new leader of CNN. And that obviously has lots of um, tendrils. But one of them, and and I appreciate that Dylan called this uh, less discussed in the discourse, but he wrote a piece about CNN Digital that 144 million people visit CNN Digital every month, CNN.com, you know, which is way more than the Times of the Post. But as someone who was in the trenches of CNN Digital when I was there, when the website was an afterthought, you know, all the way through all of those big investments that Zucker made. The problem has always been, sure, they have more people visiting CNN Digital than the Times or the Post. But like the Times and the Post have more, far more clearly defined their business and revenue around those visitors. Like CNN's always had a problem figuring out how to monetize that because basically they are sort of stuck in the, you know, 2013 era making money off off digital advertising and like display bats, display and like pre-roll ads and all that stuff. And like, that's, that's the challenge and probably why Zaslav is, is sort of scrutinizing it at the moment. What do you take away from that? A couple of interesting things going on here, Peter. I feel like one, uh, first and foremost, is that Zaz has this CFO, Gunnar Wiedenfels, who it, it's sort of fitting that he has this like very German name. And he <laughs> is, he is this militant belt tightening character who is, you know, examining Every spreadsheet, he reminds me of um, of that character in Mad Men, the, the the British executive who came in to Sterling Cooper, Draper, Price, uh, to just sort of ruin their lives and, and figure out how they could you know, save every nickel. So th- that's just table stakes as they find these $3 billion. But the second thing that people forget is, you know, once upon a time, CNN was a division of a multimedia company, you know, called AOL Time Warner. And when the web started, the executives at Time Warner and AOL Time Warner and Time Warner again said, 
I don't know if this internet thing is real. We have this incredible magazine division. So why don't we use our, our magazines and, and uh, spill their content, their digital version of their content onto CNN? So for years, brands like Sports Illustrated and Fortune, people forget this. They didn't have websites. Their websites were the CNN or CNN business website. So there's a very, there's not an immaculate conception to uh, CNN. I agree. It's a staggering number, 144 million. I couldn't believe that when Dylan had it in there. Um, but it's not a, an elegant experience. I mean, the New York Times, the Washington Post have beautiful, well-designed, um, uh, you know, l- luxurious products. CNN doesn't look like it's more than a couple levels above Matt Drudge. You, you're you're attacked with these pop-up ads and and programmatic, and they sell pre-roll video. I mean, that's essentially what I think that where the money making comes from. They have a huge audience. They can monetize these tapper clips or wolf clips from TV by doing pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll, and selling it to Pepsi or the Mach Three Razorblade, what, what, whatever it is. So it was it was never meant to be a, a user first experience. And I'm sure Zaslav and team probably feel like this is something that they can blend in with the other, in many cases, second-rate web content um, that's produced from a company that focuses on entertainment and, and video and television. I just opened it on my browser, and you can tell a lot about the health of a digital media company by like how much they're bombarding you with like display ads and pre-roll ads. I mean, it just feels like your computer got a virus and there's like things like jumping out at you all over the place. Um, If you scroll farther down, there's like this, uh, like, you know, that syndicated kind of like outbrain style clickbait where they show like links to like some way to like save money on your energy bills or like just like the grossest, like most bottom dwelling internet, like advertising clickbait. And it's just like, Elegant is not not even the close word to like describe it. But again, I say all of that because they have like good reporters who work there. I remember when I worked at CNN, the details are fuzzy in hindsight, but we had a subscription to Reuters for wire service. And maybe I think we killed our deal with Reuters and maybe the AP and it, it coincided with us hiring more people to write for CNN.com, but also mm-hmm. like more just like hybrid reporters. Like it made no sense that like a good reporter at CNN, Tapper is a good example. Like that dude can write, you know? Yeah. So like he can anchor a show and he can also like write a wire for website, you know, hopefully as time. But if your stuff that you wrote was not on the front page of CNN.com, like it didn't really get a ton of traffic. And like, I had to like do a lot of my own heavy lifting. Like I would create a distro list and I would tweet my stuff. And that, that was like a little frustrating. And it wasn't really like a DC insider website like that matched the kind of reporting I was doing. Like I was doing like Politico style reporting, but it was mm. on CNN.com, which if you were on the front page of CNN.com, your stories got so much traffic. Like CNN.com, yeah. Yahoo, there's just these like websites, news websites that are just like brands that are baked into people's brains. And if you're like over the age of like 50, you still go to CNN.com. You look at Yahoo. I remember a Republican operative, Terry Sullivan, who was running Marco Rubio's campaign in 2016, told me one time, he's like, hey, man, like, there's some stories that we just want normal people to read. He's like, we'll go to AOL.com, Yahoo, like CNN.com. If we want something that like drives the inside conversation, then we'll go to Politico. But the point he was making was just like CNN just generates so much traffic so it's just like frustrating they haven't figured out a way to like make the the experience like more pleasant 
it feels like you get like an epileptic seizure when you open the webpage and you just want to close it. Like take me to like theatlantic.com because at least they have a nice font. Yeah, it's funny. You reminded me of a, of a story from 2016 that Sarah Ellison wrote uh, for Vanity Fair called Marissa Meyer versus Kim Kardashian's ass. What sunk Yahoo's <laughs> media ambitions? Um, and the Kim Kardashian's ass part is in quotes for anyone who wants to check. But that story was about how Marissa Meyer, early Google executive who had been picked to lead Yahoo in, in what now in retrospect seems like one sort of uh, bizarre Dan Loeb stock flipping uh, maneuver, wanted to upgrade Yahoo and make it a luxury product. She, she spent a lot of time with Anna Wintour. She went to the Met Ball. She thought that she, you know, she, she had lunch with Oscar de la Renta. She thought of herself as someone who understood culture and people want. And she hired, you probably remember this too, they hired a ton of very expensive uh, reporters and, and upscale, you know, sophisticated mid-career writers. And at the end of the day, the, the patrons of Yahoo were the patrons of the Drudge Report. They were, they were people who um, w- were searching for things like, a, you know, 23-year-old serial killer or, you know, or it, it gets worse. Go to Yahoo, people. You'll see. And, um, and they banned the plan pretty, pretty quickly. So what we're also seeing in Dylan's reporting, too, is that there are a lot of people who are really, really proud of the work they did at CNN, and they feel correctly like it's uh, it's being disbanded in in real ways, and that is tough. But one other just anecdotal thing, since um, you know this this show is for the insiders, Dylan was in town this week. Dylan was came by the new Puck office in Chelsea on Wednesday. We treated him to sushi as one does uh, when Dylan is in town. And I have to tell you, it is amazing to watch Dylan report in action. Like he was sitting there in our open office space at the uh, the big table where the table hasn't even arrived yet. So he was just in one, in one of the chairs with his laptop on his lap. And just watching him roll calls with the, um, the heavies in this world, uh, I always get a kick and a high, really, out of watching elite reporters do their thing and just see how quickly they get to the center of it and how quickly one germ of an idea or a detail, and particularly a, a, a unique observation, can really bring people out of the woodwork and it's incredible to watch how it can advance so, so fast. So, um, I that's just cool. It, up. it was cool. It was, it that's, was really cool. You know, also like if you're owning a beat, like it just becomes like a force multiplier. Like people yes. just start calling you. Like you don't have, it's like, they're just coming to you. They're texting you. Oh, completely. That, that's, that's right. No, Dylan is, I mean, we joke about this in the office. Dylan is, is an unofficial, uh, CNN HR executive at this point. Like people, you know, <laughs> people come to him to ask him what they're, what he's hearing about. Like, their division, their role, you know, uh, their future, all, all this stuff. Um, and he'll be the first to tell you, by the way, he'll be like, I, <laughs> don't come to me for that. <laughs> That's not my job. Well, uh, the final thing I'll say in defense of the people who work for CNN Digital is like, you can work really hard. And at the end of the day, CNN.com, CBSNews.com, NBCNews.com, like FoxNews.com, like they are not the breadwinners of the company and are therefore like second fiddle and like there's as much as all of these news organizations have made investments in digital like the tv news universe treats their websites and their distributed content as like the little stepchild over here that they're like they wave around at sales meetings sometimes and they like like brag about their reach but it's like it will never be more important than what's on television even though the eyeballs are certainly on smartphones and 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 digital 
the money maker is the is the linear stuff. You know, you're totally right. The CNN's value now is to um, be a a meaningful inducement uh, to have a large total addressable market to get people to HBO Max, whatever it's going to be called, when when CNN and the Discovery assets are part of it. And one can't help but think that. The economic modelers who work at Warner Brothers Discovery have given uh, Zaslav and, and Gunner a sense that the next 18 months are going to, uh, even with an election cycle coming around the corner, um, are going to result in a depression in, in media spend. And uh, they're, they're trying to get ahead of it. I, I, have, I have absolutely no doubt about that. Stick with me, John. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, uh, the Reuters Trust Index, which they dropped last week to do a yearly survey about which institutions are trusted in various countries, including the media, and I think the results of what the most trusted news organizations in the U.S. might surprise you. Okay, welcome back, everybody. The Reuters Institute and the University of Oxford did this big yearly study about trust and Trust in media across countries, ages, demos, races continues to decline. Eyeballs are moving decisively toward uh, smartphones, leaving desktop and TV behind. But one of the most interesting things in the study they released, uh, John, is this like chart where they listed brand trust scores for news organizations in the United States of America. The number one most trusted source of news, and we've seen this across a bunch of studies, is local TV news. Uh, trusted by 54% of respondents. The second, and I, this is one of my favorite rags to chew, is <laughs> the BBC is the most trusted news brand in the United States. That's funny. What jumped out of you from this list? That uh, Americans, uh, you know, as, as we were reminded uh, often in election cycles, can be so based and simplistic that, that somebody saying something in a British accent uh, seems very trustworthy uh, is, is, I think, my, <laughs> my, my top line thought here. You know, um, that's a great point. That's a great point. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We're so closest that we forget that most people hate the media. <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they truly, truly hate uh, the news. They, they think that journalists are liars, small thinkers, that they bring their personal politics into work. And, and like, I, I disagree with most of that, but, but obviously there are cases where, um, where it, is, it is accurate. And if you look at the, uh, the successful media companies in, you know, that have launched during our careers, they reflect that. You know, Politico was successful because they're like, look, we're not Republican. We're not Democratic. We just cover the ball game and we play as we see it. And, and we're and we're going to cover the cynical inside game in such a way that, like, it has nothing to do with your feelings here, people. You know, Axios, the same thing. Punchbowl on a smaller scale, the same thing. I think the, we talked about this last time. The, the, the premise of Semaphore is very much like that. It, this whole thing is so broken that the only way it's going to work is if you just create something that's entirely new, you know. 50, 60 years ago, if you, you know, we, we look at American culture, it was dominated by few and more generic brands, whether it was CBS News or Dove Soap or, or Fruit of the Loom t-shirts or Ford cars. People just didn't have a lot of choice. And the internet obviously scrambled that. So now that you can pick the brands that, uh, that you know, sort of represent your, your personal portfolio and, and, and media is part of that. So as much as um, uh, it may be, unfortunate it's also a, a largely inevitable and probably inexorable too one thing that the study says is overall trust in news media is now 26 percent. 26 percent of people say they trust the news media whatever that means and only 40 percent of people say 
they trust the news that they actually read. <laughs> um, but this drop, like looking at this this time frame, it's dropped 12 points since 2017. Like 2017 was the moment where trusted media went down a lot um, in 2015 and 2016, partly because Trump was railing on the news media, but also partly because a lot of independents and Democrats too have started to express distrust in, in media too, because for reasons you point out, like it's seen as either too corporate, too sensationalist, too partisan, too fueled by the bottom line. A 12-point drop, that's the biggest drop in trust in news media I can remember. Um, the last time, like, and this is a different study, but Gallup, uh, between 2003 and 2005, uh, that's a shorter window, trusted media dropped by 10 points. And that was clearly a response to the Iraq war. Like, Right. It's in a bad way right now. <laughs> right, the, the Iraq War and Judy Miller and Matt Cooper yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Jason Blair. I mean, you know, our our biggest news organizations, um, you know, really made some mistakes. I worked at the Times years, like almost 10 years after the Judy Miller thing, uh, eight years. And it was amazing how that still haunted the, the place. It was just in, incredible. I've actually, I have a question. I have a question for you on this. I think about this a lot. USA Today last week, had to fire a reporter for plagiarism. And they removed like 22 articles from their website. In the Jason Blair, Judy Miller era, plagiarism was treated like a huge deal. And like a, a plagiarism scandal at somewhere like the New York Times was covered on like the nightly news. Like it was yeah, all everyone could talk about. Like I remember I was in at journalism school at NYU in 2003 and four. And like Daniel Okrent was the public editor at the time. Great dude. When the journalism students were asking Okrent about just stuff at the times, like a lot of it was just about the plagiarism stuff and trust. And what was the um, CBS News uh, f- scandal that, that took down Rather back in 2004? Oh my God. It was, I think, about George Bush's military, uh, US Guard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever that scandal was, was like hugely damaging to CBS and whatever. They also wanted to get rid of Rather too, I think, and that was a, a convenient excuse to, to, to offload him. But yeah. He was no longer hotter than a Laredo parking lot. It, um, they, <laughs> they've been in third place ever since. But uh, <laughs> That's true. But no, now like journalism scandals happen so often with such frequency, like they either don't get paid attention to, like no one covers them. News organizations even just try to kind of like sweep them under the rug and they're like, oh, we just published a correction. Don't worry about it. And I just feel like the pendulum has moved a lot from 20 years ago where in the aftermath of a plagiarism or journalism scandal, like the New Republic, whatever that was, Stephen Glass, it's like you had to explain everything that happened, you know, take your punishment, take your licks and like just own up to it because the standards in journalism were just really high. And I just feel like they've declined a lot. Like people make mistakes. They do things on Twitter, they whatever. And this is like, oh, well, let's on to the next one. Well, here's an important thing to remember. You know, back 20 years ago, newsrooms were filled with middle-aged people who are career professionals. Now, they're, um, the, the economics of the industry meant that a lot of those people couldn't be paid the rates that um, they were used to. They, they had pensions. They had extraordinary benefits. And that a lot of that went away in 2008 and, you know, in, in the, the five or six years that followed and, and was replaced by younger companies like BuzzFeed that relied on speed and could make mistakes fast. And if they corrected them very fast, you know, it, you, the Jason Blair point's a good one. Jason Blair and Stephen Glass were very, very young when they made their mistakes. And I think that, you know, they were in their 20s. Uh, and it, it was, you know, Judy Miller was it was probably in her 40s or 50s, and, and Matt Cooper was the same. So uh, part of the trust in media comes down to the fact that there's a lot more media. So a lot of it's not as good. And a lot of 
onus is placed on the shoulders of people with, with very, very, very little experience. Uh, I, I believe very strongly in that. There's no doubt that that is a, a key factor in why we trust the news less. It's being practiced by people who have who have less experience and less life experience. But one, one other thing, we don't just see this in surveys. More than half of the Republican Party thinks that the election was legitimately stolen. I remember like Julio writing that into one of her articles. We were in a Google Doc and I erased it because I, I thought, you know, it, it had been rephrased in a way that um, that was misleading. And she wrote me back in the Google Doc, no, no, this is really true. Like click the link and see it. It's extraordinary. People hate the media so much that they feel justifiable in blaming it for, for actual news realities that they don't want to believe are true. So I'm not like letting Donald Trump off the hook uh-huh. and these election yeah, yeah. truthers and air quotes for for um, uh, making people, you know, believe that it was uh, a fraudulently counted election. But the distrust in media was, I think, able to persuade many Republicans that this was not true. John, I hope you have a lovely 4th of July. Great to see you. You too, Peter, and I'll miss you. I think that you're going to be getting some sun all week. And so uh, we'll look forward to hearing from Teddy. Teddy's good. Yeah, Teddy is good. Teddy is good. Teddy's good. Teddy's great. Teddy's great. And respectful of your long shadow. (laughs) All right. Thanks, John. Bye, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 